Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, we're speaking with Jake Wharton, Android developer at Square, speaker, and author of many well-known and much-appreciated OSS libraries. Jake, welcome to the show, and thanks a lot for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. A few years ago, you wrote this doc, which was called Using Project Kotlin for Android, and it suddenly got a lot of attention. Even now, when you go to it, it's a Google Doc, and you click on it, and it's just like, you know, wow, this is really popular. And I don't know if it was posted on Hacker News or something. And this was a document that you had written for Square, right? In that you were explaining the case for Kotlin. Can you tell us a little bit what drove you to doing that? Sure. So uh, at at Square, we have a, a limited set of languages that we're allowed to use when building building new products or even just working on the existing products. Uh, and that's just so you know everyone's using the same languages and that the tools that we build, uh, we can make sure that they're all available for the possible languages that you would use. And so we had known, a few of us had known about Kotlin for a while, and we had really wanted to start using it, start experimenting with it, because it offered so much potential for, um, for working on Android. Uh, and basically, as soon as this came up, the idea of starting to use Kotlin, we were immediately shut down and, uh, you know, forced to uh, stay within the languages that we were allowed to look at unless we went through this, uh, what we call the language approval process, where a new language is vetted by senior engineering managers just to make sure that it's, uh, you know, a good thing for the company to, to allow, to adopt, because spinning up a new language usually requires a lot of extra tooling. And so this doc was essentially a, a little bit of research and kind of a little bit of a pitch to the engineering managers at Square of why the Kotlin language is something that would be so useful for Android development, the problems that it solves, you know, how it integrates, the tools that are already available, just everything about the language that would show them that it was something that is not only going to be uh, you know, a, a boost to our productivity, but we'll have you know, long-term actual like measurable gains in productivity and the stability of the apps. Uh, and so that's what initially started the document. And, and as I got about halfway through it, I kind of knew that I was writing something that wasn't at all specific to, to Square, that really it was about the general state of Android app development and the general state of tools and also comparing uh, comparing with the existing other alternative JVM or, or you know class file languages that are out there, uh, and so I knew that it would be something that would be a useful document for others to not only look at and see, oh wow, this Kotlin thing is something I should look at, but also to use uh, for their own companies as a way to justify maybe starting to use Kotlin. And so um, basically, as soon as I as soon as I sent it to you know through this language approval process where it was essentially approved immediately, uh, I, I instantly made it public just because I knew that it would be something that others, that would inspire others and also be a tool for others to use in the same way. And the Kotlin adoption at Square started after you wrote this document or did it take some time? But I mean, what was the adoption pace there? Uh, actually, after, after approval, we didn't start using it right away. Uh, it was mostly just that you know, someone telling me no, that I can't use a thing <laughs> motivated me to, you know, prove them wrong and, and actually get it approved. Uh, 
Uh, it took quite a few months before we actually started using it. And uh, even when we did start using it, it wasn't for the production app. Um, it started in tooling. It started in tests, things that are very... Um, very non-impactful to you know production, so that if if something were to go wrong, it wouldn't actually impact the production usage of the app. It would only be you know our developer tools or our testing where we could easily revert or disable them temporarily. Uh, it actually took quite some time before we actually got it into an app and shipped it into to production. But um, yeah, it was just getting over that initial roadblock of uh, essentially not being allowed to use the language. If you look at Kotlin, you can see that it's quite similar to C-sharp or Java. And this was a conscious decision because we wanted people to not have that major ramp-up time. Do you think that this contributed in a positive way to the adoption of Kotlin in your case? Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually think that's one of the reasons why it was approved so quickly. Um, the, this language approval process is put in place to make sure that we're not adopting you know, something crazy, something wildly new, wildly different, completely incompatible and requires building everything from scratch. Uh, Kotlin basically has the opposite approach of that, which is it's a very incremental in, uh, change from Java. Uh, it interops extremely well, and that's like one of the core tenets of the language is, is having strong interop with, with Java and even other JVM languages. And so if if you come from any of the languages like C Sharp or Java, uh, you should be able to be, be able to read Kotlin immediately. I mean, there's, there's very little syntactically that will be unfamiliar. You know, maybe one or two of the more um, you know, specialized syntactical things, like you know, an Elvis operator or uh, you know, sometimes infix notation. People don't really understand what's going on there. But aside from that, it, it reads very much just like any other programming language with only minor syntactical differences. And even in writing, uh, writing Kotlin, if you're not familiar, you can easily become productive in a few days or a week and then uh, be, you know, become back to normal productivity within a month. Um, I think it's, its familiarity is one of the strongest, its familiarity in contrast to you know, a Java or C Sharp is one of its strongest uh, assets in terms of bringing people into the language because they immediately can jump in and understand what's happening without having to learn all these syntactical oddities or these really esoteric uh, you know, constructs that don't exist in other languages. Uh, it just feels very familiar. And if you've done C Sharp or Java, chances are you've run into things that annoy you about the language. Uh, and I feel like in the, for the most part, Kotlin has actually uh, been designed by people that have felt those same annoyances. And so the language fixes a lot of those and that even motivates you further to want to use it. Speaking about interoperability, you mix Java and Kotlin quite a bit. What is your experience there? Have you ever encountered any major issues or showstoppers? Yeah, I think the biggest, the biggest problem around uh, interoperability is around the null handling. You know, it, it, it used to be much more strict, and you used to have a feature where you could explicitly tell Kotlin uh, about the nullability for libraries that you don't control. And so, uh, you know, that, that changed with this whole concept of like platform types, which are maybe nullable, maybe not nullable. Um, and I think uh, that's the only real pain point that I've experienced where I'm, I'm dealing with a library written in 
uh, Java, and it doesn't have nullability annotations, and it doesn't have good documentation. And so I'm uncertain as to whether something will be null or not. Um, but to Kotlin's credit, at least, you know, it's when you're, when you're interacting with those APIs and you're pulling them back into the Kotlin world, um, it's, Kotlin is always going to be very, uh, very explicit about the nullability. And so if that library returns you a null reference, it's not going to blindly accept that. And then, you know, later on your program will crash from like a null pointer exception. It will immediately crash when that library returns null. And so it's, it's very explicit and very explosive in the sense, whereas if something's going to fail, it will at least fail immediately. Um, but I, I think, uh, at least on the Android side, that's getting a lot better. The nullability annotations are kind of making their way through all the platform APIs. And so we're getting that very explicit contract. Uh, unfortunately for, for just traditional Java libraries and the, the uh, JDK itself, um, the efforts around creating nullability annotations has kind of failed. Uh, and so there's a few like competing uh, JSRs and there's a few uh, annotations libraries that are out there. You have the fine bugs, you know, Checker, JetBrains has one for IntelliJ. Since none of them have won, a lot of libraries, uh, a lot of just pure Java libraries, because there's no clear winner, they just, they don't choose any of them because they don't want to, you know, the only thing worse than picking, uh, than having none is having the wrong one for someone that wants to consume your library. Um, and so that's that's like the approach we've taken is we actually don't have nullability annotations in our Java libraries, and it can be kind of annoying using them from Kotlin because you lose that you lose that really nice explicitness of the nullability, and so um, that's like the only part that I think has is a slight inconvenience. Um, beyond that, I mean, you know, the, the interoperability story is just is so seamless compared to something like Scala, where you have to try a lot harder to get interoperability to work. Uh, and so if, if that's the only problem, if that's the only like annoyance that Kotlin has, I think it's in a, a fairly good place. Given our focus on interoperability, one of the things that we try to convey is that you don't need for an entire ecosystem to flourish around Kotlin, because you can really use any library, framework, etc., that exists already on the JVM, on the platform, whether it's Java, what have you. Do you feel, though, however, at times that you need to have some kind of, you know, API thin wrapper around some of these libraries in order to use them from Kotlin? I think it. Uh, I, I definitely think it depends on the library. Uh, I would say the majority of them probably don't need don't need a wrapper or don't need like a like a shim. Um, you know. If, if the API of the library is designed well enough, then it should feel fairly idiomatic in Kotlin. Uh, I, I think the only point where you really start getting into wanting a wrapper or a library that adapts an API to Kotlin is when uh, the, the language features of Kotlin can really help make the inter interaction with the library that much better. So whether it's using things like um, you know, lambdas, inline functions, um, even just like extension methods, like, you know, a lot of libraries will ship with utility methods and whether that's for compatibility story or maybe it's for uh, utility methods that are for types that they don't own or types that are inside the JDK, 
getting those to actually behave like normal methods uh, can make it feel much more idiomatic in Kotlin. And so it's really subjective, but it just comes down to whether whether or not the language features of Kotlin already work well with the library or whether they need to be, you need like some sort of extra uh, step up in order to make it really feel like it's native Kotlin. Before coming on the show, you and I caught up a little bit and you were telling me some of the things that you were working on. And one of these things were related to Kotlin extensions. Uh, before we kind of dive more into your actual work, maybe it would make sense to explain a little bit to our audience what Kotlin extensions are. Sure. So yeah, in, in Java, traditionally, when you want to provide new functionality on some type that you don't control. So you want to add a function to, um, you know, say list. Uh, if we're writing our own, like, or whatever, how, how about merging two lists, you know, concatenating two lists, you would write a static method that accepts uh, the first list as the first parameter, and then the list you want to concatenate as the second parameter. And you would call this as a static method. And that static method would live in, you know, like a lists class or list util class. Extension methods basically are the same exact idea, except rather than it being a static method that lives in some random class that you have to remember, you can take that function and make it seem like it's a method on the, on the type that you want. So instead of having a static method that you pass in two lists, you can take the list that you already have and call a method directly on that instance in this case, passing the second list. So it, it acts as if this method, this concatenate method, was already on the list class itself. Uh, and so under the hood, it's still creating you know a static method and it's still passing in the two parameters just like you would have done in Java. But syntactically, in the language, in the IDE that you're writing, it behaves and it looks like it's just a normal instance method on that type. And so your code becomes much more readable uh, and it, it declares the intent much more clearly of what you want to get, what you want to accomplish rather than distracting you with the fact that there's this, you know, separate class that has all these static methods in it. Uh, it, it allows you to essentially extend, extend the functionality of a class by adding methods to it without actually having to, you know, modify that class. Uh, and so that, that's an example with methods. Kotlin also has a, a feature called properties, which is kind of an abstraction over both a getter and a setter. Uh, and so you can also do the same thing with properties. You can add extension properties to types. And so for uh, for list, instead of calling, well, let, me, let me see if I can get this right. Instead of calling like size, or, or is it size? Yeah. Um, size on a list as a method, size becomes exposed as a, a property. Uh, and so it, it behaves uh, almost like a field in Java. It's kind of exposed like a field that you can read and write to, except under the hood, it's still calling those those getters and setters. Uh, and in the case of extension properties, not only is it still calling uh, getters and setters, but those getters and setters aren't even defined on the list class. They're defined you know, wherever you want. Uh, and so extension methods and extension properties are a way to add met instance methods and instance properties to types that you don't control. Um, using basically the same mechanisms that you would have used in Java, just with a very with a nicer syntactical representation. And one of the things you mentioned was that you're working on something to automatically generate Kotlin extension methods by parsing source code. Is that right? 
Uh, yeah, that's right. So there's a, a an Android library that I've written called Rx Bindings, which is a um, it's a set of static methods which uh, adapt Android's callbacks into RxJava observables, uh, and that's for everything in you know Android's view system. So instead of getting a callback for clicks on a button, you get an observable of clicks on the button. And so it's just a bunch of these static methods which uh, take in some view and then expose some behavior of that view as an ArcJava observable. Uh, and, and again, it's that pattern of you know just empty classes with static methods. Uh, and so in Kotlin, you want those to you want those methods to actually be on the button on the view that you're talking to. So you can say button.clicks instead of you know rxbutton.clicks and pass in the button. Uh, and so there's there's hundreds of these methods, uh, maybe even thousands. I don't know how many at this point. There's a lot. And so maintaining maintaining the Java source version of this is hard enough. I didn't want to have to maintain the Kotlin extensions version where I have to make sure that both of them are always the same. I have to keep the Java doc of both of them up to date. I have to make sure that the types match from Java and Kotlin. Just a lot of like manual work here. And so uh, actually with the help of a few people in the community, we wrote a Gradle plugin, which uh, parses, the, parses these source files and finds these static methods defined in Java. And it will automatically generate Kotlin source files, which declare, um, declare those functions as extension methods on the various Android types. And so that allows you to call you know, button.clicks instead of rxbutton.clicks and passing in the button. Um, and yeah, there's just so many of them that it, it was not feasible to be able to maintain them. But when you're using the library in Kotlin, you really, really want those extension methods. And so it's, a, it's this awesome compromise where there's no manual work involved in maintaining it, but you still get the, um, you get the you know, nice idiomatic syntax that you really want. So, and it goes back a little bit to what we were saying about you know, having kind of like a thin wrapper that gives you that more idiomatic Kotlin style, right? Um, except in this case, you don't really have to do the work as such or maintain it. And is this open source? Is this available on GitHub for people to download? Or Yeah, it's uh, the plugin itself. Um, it's very specific to the library. It's not something that's that's generalized. And so the plugin lives inside the Rx bindings repository. Uh, it's in it's in the build source directory. Like it's it's part of it's just part of the build. Um, it has a few other few other features as well like it checks it makes sure that null checks are present and, and a few things that's that are very specific to the library um, but the technique is is definitely applicable to other libraries and so you could you could take that plugin and copy it uh, and adapt it to yeah, you know other libraries yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the plugin is actually written in Kotlin which is even more fun sweet and do you think that this is a good because I, I think I saw a talk of yours a uh, uh, couple of year ago or so that you were talking about uh, open source and there was a section on it where you were discussing you know that the design kind of like the design goals of the authors of the open source might not, might not align with those that submit pull requests with new features or api changes etc 
What do you think about this being kind of like an approach to kind of each person have their own API without having to, you know, have those part of the standard library as such? Yeah, it's definitely a good approach to to both add and change a library to more closely suit the way that you're using it. Uh, you know, we have a lot of extension methods and extension properties that we define internally that that adapt libraries or add APIs that are that are just very specific to the way that we're using them. Uh, it's a great way to make make the code make your code more readable where it matters and hide hide kind of uh, the the very manual kind of odd interactions with APIs that that aren't really relevant to you know the the function of like the business logic of your code or whatever you know the meat of the code stuff that's not relevant to the actual behavior yeah. you can hide it away in these extension methods. Uh, so that it becomes much more readable, and then that that interaction with the library or that new API that you're adding that does something very specific to your app can be can be put out of the way so that uh, so that it's in one place. It's still reusable, but it's still specific to your your needs. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's a great way. If you if you find something that you want changed or even added. Um, this is a great way to to try it out and to iterate on it before you even try and propose it upstream. And talking about extensions, I have to ask you because you you know you do a lot of Android development, and one of the libraries that we created at JetBrains, uh, and please feel free to like I want an honest response here. One of the libraries that we created was called Anko, which just to set some context, basically consists of a DSL to create your views. Uh, using your uh, a Kotlin DSL as opposed to XML, and it comes with a series of extensions as well for Android development. So, how do you feel about that specifically in regard to the XML views? Yeah, I I definitely think Enco is uh, you you either really like it or you kind of don't like it. Uh, it's very polarizing. It's like Marmite, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just, uh, I actually haven't used it to an extent where I feel comfortable saying that it's not a good idea. Uh, but I'm on the side where it initially strikes me as something that I wouldn't like. I I definitely understand what it's trying to do, and I, I understand how it can be beneficial. Uh, but yeah, it's it's XML... XML is bad for a lot of things. Um, I, I don't think it's particularly terrible for building UIs for Android. Uh, there, there's not a lot of, you know, you think of XML, you think of like Maven or um, maybe configuration files, just, just these things that have a lot of like ceremony around the tags that you have to create. And there's a lot of like indentation and nesting and all these weird structures that you have to create where whereas like Android's XML is actually it's very terse like there's not a whole lot of uh, extraneous data in there it's really just the class of the view and then the properties that you want to change and there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of boilerplate associated with it and so I, I don't really find that to be terrible to work with the the, the maven style XML where there's um, you know if, if all the properties 
that are in an Android XML layout were like Maven, you would have your class tag and then inside the class tag, it would be like, you know, layout width, match parent and layout width, layout height, wrap content and layout height. It's like you would have all these extra tags and all this extra indentation and ceremony. That would be bad. And that would want to make me uh, look for alternative solutions like a DSL. Uh, but I, because it uses properties and because there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of duplication, there's not a whole lot of boilerplate in there, uh, I, I don't find it that hard to work with. Uh, I've also been working with it for you know years, and so I'm very comfortable with it. Um, but the whole DSL thing, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely useful for describing some constructs, but I, I don't know. There's just UIs on Android have gotten so complicated where I just would be nervous having it all in code. Um, but again, I, I haven't tried in a real project. You know, I've done little. Uh, examples with it just to see how it works and uh, get get a feel for the APIs and it definitely works but because I haven't built like a big project with it I just uh, I'm not comfortable using it where I would use it in our production app um, yeah and it totally makes sense I mean you know it's it's I, I also like you say as I said it's like Marmite you know you either love it or hate that approach um, one of the things that I think we're considering doing is kind of split that off into the DSL part and just the extensions part because a lot of people kind of sway away from using it and there's a bunch of extensions in there that could be helpful even if you're not using the DSL. Yeah, yeah, that does seem like a good idea because I, I think a lot of people don't even know that there are a bunch of extension methods in there that are just, uh, you know, kind of general Android uh, functions and not at all related to the view side of things. Yeah. And something else that you mentioned, I mean, moving on a little bit from extensions, you said that you're working on this other thing called SQL Delight. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So um, SQL Delight is an effort to bring uh, essentially like, you know, Java or Kotlin-like safety to um, your SQL queries for Android. And so it's it's a language plugin for IntelliJ or Android Studio, and it's also a Gradle plugin which will, at compile time, validate your SQL queries and your schema to make sure that they're as well formed as we can possibly check at compile time, so that at runtime, you know, they behave correctly, they don't fail, uh, and they're also type safe. And so the uh, the IntelliJ plugin and the Gradle plugin, and then there's a shared core library are 100% written in Kotlin. Uh, and so the uh, it, both Gradle and IntelliJ's APIs, like Android, uh, are they, there's just a ton of things to them, and there's uh, a lot of nulls that you have to be aware of and handle. And so a, a language like Kotlin is perfect for plugins for both IntelliJ and Gradle because it just makes those it makes that nullability part a, a very first class thing that you have to understand and deal with so that when your when your plugin is running in Gradle or IntelliJ, it behaves correctly and doesn't, you know, encounter unexpected nulls. And so it was the perfect the perfect language to use for that. Um, unfortunately, the plugin itself only generates Java at this time. Uh, for 
for when you're actually, you know, when you write these SQL queries, we, we generate Java code to help you interact with them at runtime in your Android app. And so uh, even though everything else is written in Kotlin, we're still generating Java just because we want, we want it to be usable by, by everyone, whether or not they're, they're writing their app in Kotlin. But um, generating Kotlin for people that are already using Kotlin in their Android app is something that we're also looking into in the future. Nice. And this is also open source, right? I mean, available at least for people to download and test. Yeah, it's it's 100% open source. Uh, so that's SQL Delight, and it's on the Square GitHub. Great. How long have you actually been active with Kotlin? Um, we really only started, it's, it's probably been about, at this point, probably two years. Uh, we actually wrote two IntelliJ plugins about, geez, almost four years ago now. And uh, at the time, I think Kotlin had just come out or just been made available publicly. And uh, one, of the, one of the guys I was working with on the project wanted to write these IntelliJ plugins in Kotlin. And we, we tried for two days. And it was, uh, it was a little raw at the time and not a lot of documentation and uh, so we we kind of put it aside, and I actually completely forgot about it until one of my coworkers brought it back up, and uh, that's what started the discussion to to create that document. Uh, and I think you said that was about two years ago. Yeah, and from the time that it came out to now, ha has it changed your opinion at all, like f for good or bad? Yeah, it's. I definitely have grown to appreciate a lot of things more that the language provides. Uh, it's it's not perfect, you know. Everyone kind of has their own opinions of what's broken in Java, and I think Kotlin's probably the best the best rend rendition of uh, the majority of those things. So there, there's still a few things in Kotlin that I find annoying or I don't agree with, but it's just such a very pragmatically designed language where even if I don't agree with something, I usually see how it fits into the the kind of bigger picture of the language. And so I'm I'm comfortable with having one or two things that I'm that I don't really like when I get, you know, hundreds of things that I absolutely adore. Whereas in, you know, Java, which is a language I've actually grown to also really like, but there's just so many more things that annoy me and so many more things that I think it doesn't give me compared to something like Kotlin. And so I've definitely grown to, uh, I've definitely grown to appreciate it a lot more. And just the more you use it, um, especially like the, the standard library functions, there's, there's just so many things in there that at the time, at the time of when I first dove into Kotlin, I didn't really understand why they would be useful or why they would be included in the standard library. And, um, I've just grown to appreciate it more and more as I've I've found that usually when I'm trying to do something, uh, you know, your the, the Kotlin team has thought of this ahead of time and has designed something that allows it to just be done in a very uh, very clean, very idiomatic way in Kotlin where it just feels feels great. And so, it's not perfect, but it's it's pretty close. What would you say it's the greatest weakness? I mean, what's the thing that bugs you the most? Um, I used to really not like the fact that everything is public by default. Uh, as, as a library developer, 
you know, public should be the exception, not the default. You should very, you know, Kotlin has everything final by default. And I think that's a fantastic decision. If something is extensible, you should be opting into that because designing an extensible API is a lot harder than designing one that's final. Uh, and since I primarily do library development, I have the same view of visibility. I want something to be very private to the library. And if I want to expose it, I want that to be a very explicit choice. I want to go in and make something public. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of, you know, this was brought up right before Kotlin 1.0. There was a big, huge thread on the Kotlin forums about this. And it really annoyed me for a while. You know, it, it's one of, it was one of my like very few things that I thought annoyed me because in, in SQL Delight where we have uh, this core, this core library, which we're trying to treat like a library, we wanted things to be, to be hidden and not be exposed unless it was very explicit. Um, and ultimately I kind of just gave in and, and decided to embrace the fact that, that things are public by default and, and not take it as, as seriously. And so, um, that, that was the, I think the big one. Cool. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I really much appreciate it. I know you said that you're starting your holidays today. Uh, so really very much appreciated that you had some time to chat. And I, I think we might actually meet up at some point. I believe you're going to DevOps US, so I'll be there. So hopefully we can actually meet in person finally. Yeah, definitely. I'll make a point of it. Awesome. And I'm giving I'm giving a Kotlin talk at DevOps US. Yes, you are. Ten, tickets available. Your favorite ten tips or something, right? Yeah, that's right. Cool, cool. I'll be there. Awesome. Right. Take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.